Well, today we're going to continue our study in Nehemiah, and the topic this morning is godly leadership and decision making. Okay. So as we get started, let's ask for the Lord's blessing. Our Father, we thank you so much for the Bible. Thank you for the book of Nehemiah, which we're working through. Thank you for the example that Nehemiah is of godly decision-making and leadership. We commit our time into your hands. Ask, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will keep our distractions down, make us attentive to your word and your leading. These things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So by way of outline, we've got a lot of material this morning, but I think we're going to move right through it. I first of all, I want to set the stage, go back and review just a little bit about what happened in Nehemiah and what was his leadership? What, what did it involve? What kind of decisions was he making? We'll talk a little bit about, um, I divide it up in three areas. We talk about foundations of leadership, some things that are just key no matter what you do. Once you decide what you need to do, then the issue is, okay, how do we create that plan? Then how do we execute the plan? So we'll, we'll talk about some subsections under each one of those. Then I highlighted one in particular, and we want to talk a little bit about purpose. There is nothing more important. As you look at Nehemiah and what he did, there was a purpose that drove him. And uh, in his case, it was about rebuilding the walls. And that's so much of what Nehemiah is about. But purpose drove all those other things. So we're going to talk about that. You could have a personal purpose. There could be a purpose for your home, your family. And there's a purpose for the Great Adventure Church. We're going to end right there. And, um, but that's kind of how we're going to walk through it this morning. So you might ask yourself, you go, well, gee whiz, you know, um, how in the world is, oh, I see I missed, I missed a page here. So I'm going to go back. Let's, let's start with this, setting the stage. So remember the key dates. It's 19, or 586 B.C. and what happens? The, Babylon, the, the Babylonians go and sack Jerusalem. And they take the Jewish people back. So they're now in captivity. And then you remember Daniel prophesied and says, even this night, what's going to happen? The Persians are going to come and take over. And they did, didn't they? They took over in in 539 B.C. And then in 536 B.C., there's a small contingent of the Jewish people, and they go back to Jerusalem. And over the next 20 years under the leadership of Zerubbabel, they build a new temple on a much smaller scale than the temple once was, but they do rebuild that temple. And now it's it's, uh, 445 B.C., and the city is Zusa, one of the capitals of the, of, the, of the Persian Empire. And King Artaxerxes is in charge. And Nehemiah is the cupbearer. And so <clears throat> that's the scene as, as, as uh, Nehemiah starts. And one day he meets his brother. His brother and a few, guy, a few, few guys come back and they talk about Jerusalem. And they say, you know what? Jerusalem's a mess. Yeah, there may be the temple, but the walls are broken down. It's pathetic. 
and th and that's that's it. And and immediately, Nehemiah has this real passion. He says, "I can't believe it. This is we are God's people. We've been taken away because we sinned. Okay, so that's all true. But we are God's people, and Jerusalem is the capital of Israel, and it's a mess. And he has this vision, and he says, you know, I see a time when Jerusalem is is restored in all its glory. And it's not an embarrassment to God, but it's a tribute to God. And that's how we start, we start the book of Nehemiah. And so the burden on Nehemiah's heart is he, he very much realized, says the walls are torn down and the gates are all burned. We need to fix that. And that's on his heart. And so what happens? Well, that about four months later, one day he's in, in the, the court with uh, the king when the king says why are you looking so gloomy and he says because the city of my fathers is in ruins and Artaxerxes says well what do you want and Nehemiah had already thought through that he had four months to think through that and he says I want permission to go back and rebuild those walls that's what he says and Artaxerxes says okay then now, obviously, the Lord had prepared his heart, but that's what happens. And so he then, he, he, he scopes out the area. He, he thinks through it. Remember, he's talked to his brother, and he's got some details there, but he takes a trip to Jerusalem. Then in the dark of night, he surveys all that needs to be done. He organizes the people, and they rebuild the walls. And then he celebrates. Now, I summarize, that's the, the two-minute version of something we could take much more, but that sort of sets the stage. In that process, Nehemiah is making lots of decisions. Nehemiah is going to lead this effort to do this, and in the process, he makes decisions. Nehemiah is full of principles that today you'd find in good leadership and management textbooks. They're all there, and today I want to cover some of those with you. Now, you may be saying... Well, gee whiz, leadership, you know, I'm, we're not, we're not, we don't have many CEOs of companies here. What's that got to do with me? And decision making, what's that all about? But I want you to look at these definitions. And then I think you'll instantly see this applies to me and you all the time. What is leadership? Showing the way. Have you done that recently? Did you do it with your children? Did you take somebody else's hand and help them through some difficulty in life? If so, you were a leader. That's what you did. Now, you may have people working for you, too. That is leadership, too. But my point is there's a lot more to leadership than just being the boss of a company. Much more. You lead every day. Decision-making. What is decision-making? You've made lots of decisions today already. Some of them were pretty easy. What clothes do I wear? Pretty simple. What do I eat this morning? Those are decisions. You had a number of different options, and you chose one, and that's what you did. Some decisions are much bigger. Should I be a missionary? Should I buy a house? Is this the right car? Those are all decisions too. They're decision making. And the issue then would be we are all decisions. We, make, we are all leaders. We all make decisions in various works. It may be work. It may be civic organizations, professional societies. Many right in our own local church right here at homes and life every day. So what is the issue? The issue is we all are leaders and we all make decisions. That's for sure. For a Christian, though, 
It's how does how he leads and how he makes a decision makes a difference. Nehemiah's life illustrates how to lead and make decisions in a way that is pleasing to God. And that's what we want to talk a little bit about this morning. Now, as I started doing my research, there we go, I came across a, an author, Donald Campbell. He had 21 things that he had identified as leadership expertise of Nehemiah. We don't have time for all these, but I want to show them. I want to just go through this list, and then we're going to take and highlight certain ones for your consideration in more detail this morning. He established a reasonable, attainable goal. He, Nehemiah, had a sense of mission. Nehemiah was willing to get involved. He wasn't just standing on the sidelines right in there with him. Nehemiah rearranged his priorities to accomplish the goal. Nehemiah patiently waited for God's timing. He showed respect to his superior, Artaxerxes. He prayed at critical times. You look throughout Nehemiah, and we're going to see this, and he prays. He prays at most interesting times, and we're going to talk about some of those. He made his requests with tact and graciousness. He had a burden when he heard about this. He didn't rush into the king and said, you need to fix this. He didn't. He waited on the Lord. When was the right time? Nehemiah was prepared and knew his needs in advance. Because he did that, when the king asked, he was ready. Well, this is what I want. He was ready. Nehemiah went through the proper channels. Nehemiah took time to rest, pray, and plan. Nehemiah investigated the situation firsthand. Nehemiah informed others only when he knew the full scope of the problem. He didn't jump the gun and then have to go, oh, by the way, it's, the tax changed just a little bit. We've all done that from time to time. Nehemiah ident identified himself as one of the people. He wasn't just the boss. He was right in there with them, leading. Nehemiah set them, that is the Jews that he was leading, a reasonable and attainable goal. It wasn't mission impossible. He broke it down into tasks they could achieve, and they did so. Nehemiah assured people that God supported the project. Nehemiah displayed confidence in facing obstacles, and he displayed God's confidence in facing those obstacles. He did not argue with opponents. He was not discouraged by opposition, a topic to be covered in more detail next week. And he courageously used the authority of his position. Now there's 21. My point again is that Nehemiah is extremely relevant. It's a great book that supplements any management textbook and gives you key things. But more importantly, it gives it to you from God's perspective. All right, so let's get into this. And our first area we're going to talk about is foundations. And there's three areas I want to talk about. I want to talk about God's perspective, prayer, and God's timing. Now, why is this so important? Well, think about it. From man's perspective, we might want to say, save your money. From God's perspective, it might be, give it away. Help them, right? Those are different perspectives. And that's why getting the perspective is key to Christian leadership and Christian decision making. What is the Lord's perspective? It isn't what's reasonable from a man's standpoint. It's what would God have me to do. Think of something else. Don't risk your resources. Don't lend. What might God's perspective be? Help him out. He needs your help. 
I'll take care of the rest. It might be man's perspective, you deserve it. Do it. The Lord's perspective might be, don't be extravagant. It's all my resources. You're spending my resources. The Lord's resources. All right? Foundations, okay, ensuring God's perspective. Let Nehemiah 1 4. I've already, I want to read these two verses because I think they're so important. Um, uh, in verse 4, as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. This is after he hears the report about Jerusalem. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And then there's a prayer. And then in verse 17, chapter 2, it says, Then I said to them, You see the trouble we were in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. Embarrassment. He was embarrassed. I'm the Lord's people. This is the Lord's capital, Jerusalem. It's a mess. That is the Lord's perspective. He didn't have to do that. There were much easier roads. He served in the king's court. His life was pretty good. But he took this cause on because he believed it was the Lord's cause. Now, a couple, several verses point out the problems with what we think is right. No one maybe more directly than Proverbs 14:12. There is a way that seems right to man, but the end is death. Did Adam and Eve choose the Lord's way? Probably the most clear example. They chose it seemed right, looked good, we did it, and what happened? Changed things forever. Needed the death of Jesus Christ to fix that mistake. Yeah. Did not have the Lord's his perspective and values. When Israel desired a king, they got a king. What did they get with it? Taxes, abuse, not what the Lord had in mind. But that's what they got when they insisted. So Paul says it this way. He says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God and is good and acceptable and perfect. As Christians, we've been bought with a price. Our values should reflect the values of our Savior, Jesus Christ. That's key. When you lead, when you make decisions, you should reflect the values of our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's there. All right, so point one. In leadership and decision-making, we need to reflect the values of our Lord and Savior. Point two. Prayer and the Word. Now, I listed a bunch of um, uh, texts there where you see Nehemiah praying. We don't have time, but I want to show you what I will tell you a little bit about each one. Nehemiah 1.4. Nehemiah prays when he hears about Jerusalem's woes, uh, walls and gates. 2.4. Nehemiah quickly prays before answering Artaxerxes. Artaxerxes says, the text says, Artaxerxes says, well, what do you want? And the Bible says, Nehemiah prayed and answered. <laughs> Pretty cool, huh? He's right there. He's looking for the Lord's guidance. His help. I want to get this right, Lord. Help me. And he speaks. It was momentary, but that's what he did. He prayed. 4-4. Four, four. When opposition arises, he prays that God will eliminate those who oppose. Who's he looking to? His infinite God of strength. 
6.9. Again, in the face of opposition, Nehemiah prays, but now, O God, strengthen my hand. He realized where his strength comes again. Here is a man dependent on the Lord. He's looking for what the Lord wants. Then chapter 8, 1 through 8, when they get all done, the walls are built, and what does he do? They celebrate in part by reading of the law. That's what they do. Nehemiah was a man who appreciated the law and wanted to conform to it. So, the Bible says, why do we, well, first of all, why do we pray? We pray because it keeps us connected to our Lord. That's what it does. We commune with him, and he is our source of strength. Paul says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing. James says, the prayer of a righteous man has great power. Amazing. That means you can affect the course of events by your prayers. That is amazing indeed. There are things that have not happened because we did not pray. That's the other side of that. That is what scripture says. Paul says the same thing. He says, for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. I got blessings because you prayed. Cool. We ought to pray. It's there. Okay. And then one, one scripture, and there's so many more to lay out. Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Do you believe it? So if someone comes to you and says, well, I'm really unclear about my future, and you say, well, what's the Lord been teaching you as you read scripture? Well, you know, I haven't had time for that. What's the book, what's the book say? The book says, get into it, read it. Now, in the book, are you going to find which car to buy? You will not. Or which, which mission field on which to serve? Maybe, but probably not that either. Can the Lord, working through the Bible, and as you commune in prayer, give you a sense of peace or where to go? And the answer is absolutely. It happens all the time. We need to do so much more of it. All right, three, third step. God's timing. God has a perfect time for everything. Nehemiah 1.4, and when we, in that verse, that's where he learns about the problems in Jerusalem. Four months later, the beginning of chapter 2, is the right time. And Artaxerxes says, so what do you need, Nehemiah? That was God's time. Then he goes to Jerusalem and he says, so I went to Jerusalem, was there three night, three days, then I arose at night. That was the time. He didn't rush right in there and lay his plans out to everybody. He waited on the Lord and the time came. At just the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Yes, is there a time that's important? Yes, there is. So the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. For there is a time and a way for everything, says Ecclesiastes. So the question then is, the wise heart, how do you get wisdom? And the last verse answers that. If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously. We're back to prayer, study your Bible, get wise, lead, and make the right decisions. There's the logic right there. Point three, timing is very important. We want God's time. Sometimes we rush things. I think we get it wrong. Um, and so and the point is the, the right answer at the wrong time doesn't work sometimes, right? 
the right answer at the right time often works. And that's where we need to rely on God for that right time. All right, there's some foundations. It's still on. Okay, All right. So now, now that we've got some foundations, let's talk a little bit about developing the plan. And four points here. Mastering the situation, obtaining support and permission, creating the actual plan and resourcing the plan. Mastering the situation. Nehemiah 1.2 says, And I asked, Nehemiah, asked them concerning the Jews who escaped and concerning Jerusalem. They gave a report. He said, tell me a little bit more. What about this? What about that? He's trying to get the facts. He's trying to make sure the facts are right. Then I arose at night. I inspected the walls of Jerusalem as gates that have been destroyed by fire. He didn't take somebody else's report. He got out there. He checked the facts. He made sure he knew what he was doing. Now, one is obviously in preparation for Artaxerxes. It's, it's his brother and friends, right? Then he gets closer to the situation. He's actually in Jerusalem. He surveys it again to make sure his plan is right. He's doing his homework is the bottom line. Now, many times we take a jump, right? We think we know what we're doing. We start making statements, and what happens? Don't have our facts right. And uh, I don't know how many times I've learned that lesson in my career. It looks, and sometimes it looks just like the last time. And you say, well, then we'll do this. And then you come back to, oh, wait, wait a minute, it's a little bit different. <laughs> Get the facts right. Mastering the situation results in the best leadership and decisions. Conversely, a poor understanding often leads to poor decisions. Take your time, get the facts, and consider personally validating it. That's the example of Nehemiah. Second step, get permission. Send me to Judah, he says to Artaxerxes, to the city of my father's grace that I might rebuild it. Let letters be given to me to the governors of the province. The governors are those who are in charge of the Judea. These are letters that introduce them and says, greetings. Nehemiah has permission from me, Artaxerxes, to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. So do whatever you can to help him. Something like that. <laughs> he had permission, okay? And that, that's very important. So actions without permission can backfire. Get permission from a parent, a spouse, a boss, an elder. Yes, you got a great idea for the church. We can always use more good ideas. Get permission before you just implement. Otherwise, it might be confusing. Nehemiah exemplifies that. Okay. So we know what we need. We got permission. So now we're going to develop that plan. Many people have can identify lots of problems. Fewer people develop the plans that can fix it. Nehemiah, he didn't just bemoan it. He could have heard it, been crushed, done nothing. That's not what he did. He started putting that plan together in his mind. Nehemiah had the plan ready. So when Artaxerxes asked, he says, yes, here's what I want. He was ready. He was ready. He was loaded. Plans are the basis for meaningful actions. So, Punchline, if you've got problems in your life, spiritual, physical, mental, whatever they might be, have you started thinking that through? What are your plans? What are your plans? Have you created the plans to solve your problems? As Nehemiah did, he was ready. Now, 
plans without resourcing is just like no plan. Yes? Got a great plan, but I didn't think about the cost. Hmm? Can't do it. I got a great plan, don't have any people. If I had 100 people, I would do this. But you only have 10. Not good. Got to think about the resourcing. Did Nehemiah do that? Yes, he did. He asked for permission to go. And he also says, and a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber. Scripture says the timber is for the walls, for the gates, and for a house to live in. That's what it says. But that's why he wanted it. And so he, because he had thought through it, he knew what he needed. He didn't just get his permission, but he got the resources he needed to implement the plan. Remember, this is all at a moment's notice, right? It, but he actually had four months. The Lord worked in his heart. The timing is right. And he asked for all these things. And he resourced his plan. Now, interesting concept here. We have been saved by Jesus Christ. Resources were involved. The resource is the blood of Christ. There are many different, but I think this one's kind of meaningful. That is the resource that gives you and me the ability to cleanse our hearts and give us standing before God again through Jesus Christ. Did God resource the plan? He did in a very tough way. He had to give his only begotten son. And his son died for us. Blood was spilled. He resourced the plan of salvation. So we must, too, ensure resources for the plans we create. Who are the resourcers? Could be a parent. Could be a spouse, a boss, the GAC treasurer. Yep, I need some resources. Where do you go? Yeah. And how might you do that? Through the budget? You know, we're talking more about budget and putting things in there. That's the way you do that. Uh, Naomi's got a budget, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's how she resources at, at, uh, at uh, Emmaus. All right. So now we've got those. Let's talk a little bit about executing the plan. We've developed the plan. We've got the fundamentals. We developed it. Now it's time to execute it. A few thoughts there. Assigning duties, individual and group tasks, motivating and encouraging the people, persisting in spite of opposition, realizing and celebrating success. Assigning duties. You know, it's hard to swallow a whole elephant, but you can you can eat it bite by bite until it's done. And that's what Nehemiah did. He got back there. The whole walls are broken down. You can kind of look at it and go, oh, my goodness. So what he did is he broke it up in pieces. And there's a chapter there, chapter 3, where he actually details all of his key, key people who, who did the repairs on the walls. And he made it meaningful. So the sheep gate, you think the priest would be interested in that? That's where they brought the sheep in for sacrifices. They were interested in that. They fixed it. Would you be interested in fixing that part that was across from your house? Yes. So he took an interest in it. And he used that technique as well. The point is, as you organize organize your people, different people have different skills. They have different, different uh, connections. If you meet those connections, the work can be more efficiently done. And that's what Nehemiah did. The right one? Yep. That is an interesting concept. Um, there's a time when the opposition becomes pretty significant. And yet work has to be done all on the wall. And yet when you must meet the, the opposition, 
attackers and you have to be able to put up a defense. And how do you do that? And this is what Nehemiah writes in, in 4 verses 19 and 20. The work is great and widely spread and we are separated on the wall far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. All right, so what about here at the GAC? We all have our own ministries. We do things. And once in a while, there are things that require all of us to come together and work together. So when the trumpet sounds, answer the call. Both of them are very important. Just as in Nehemiah's time, so that can be a factor here at the Great Adventure as well. All right, motivating and encouraging. Nothing more important than motivating and encouraging the troops. Nehemiah 2.18, And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also of the words of the king that had spoken to me. Encouraging words, right? And guess what? Artaxerxes said he's going to help us too. And they said, let us rise up and build. In other words, he motivated them. That's what he did. He said, look at what the Lord's doing. Look at what Artaxerxes did. And the response was, great, let's do it. And that's what happened. And so there we learn a lesson in this motivation. You get the folks together, you've got to give them a challenge. It's got to be reasonable. The goal has to be attainable, all those good things. But then you want to motivate them. And time and time again, he uses the words of Scripture he uses the attributes of God as a motivating factor. As we encourage and motivate each other, we need to remind each other of the greatness of our God. What he can do, his infiniteness. There isn't anything he can't do. Nothing. Think about it. And we get all tied up in knots about some little detail of our life or something going on. And I'm not trying to minimize any of them. They are big deals sometimes. But in the, when you really think, Consider the heavens, the moon, and the stars which God hath ordained. When you think of that, doesn't it start to put it in perspective? He can do it. He loves me. He can take care of you. That is the motivation. Now, um, <clears throat> another thing that I think is very important, you know, he gave credit to the key builders in chapter 3. you got a whole chapter. It's just, and this guy did this, and this guy did this, and they did this. That was important enough for him to document that, that that's what they did. Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Another motivating piece by Nehemiah. David and Jonathan encouraged each other. What a great example of encouragement. And Paul's farewell to the Ephesians in Acts 26. Very encouraging. This, he said to him, it's tough. He said to the Ephesian elders there, he said, and you know, I don't, I'm not going to see you again. So they're a little, oh, oh my, you know. Paul was pretty dear, but he encouraged them. Don't forget to motivate. When you're with a group, you're organizing something, make sure you motivate, make sure you encourage. And there's a reason for that, and that is oftentimes in the course of executing a plan, opposition comes up. You're ready to go, but these things come in the way. It happens all the time. I'm just going to mention it because, KT, you got this next week? Yep, and he's going to talk a lot more about the opposition, so I'm not going to get there. But I'm going to leave you just with one text. It does happen. You've got to persevere. Remember, if God is for us, who can be against us, right? Yes, sometimes it may seem distant, but he is still God. He can work through this. And time and time as you read Nehemiah, you see God standing right behind them. He's getting it done.
much more on this next week. And then another thing I think it's so important to realize, and that is when we finish, we need to celebrate. The Bible's full of that, absolutely full of it. We need to do that. That might be celebrating losing five pounds. It might be um, opening the house and celebrating with everybody, remembering always that the Lord provided, right? Celebrate the Lord is right in the middle of it always. It's not what we did. It's what the Lord did through us. It's what he gave us always. If that's our focus, the Lord is glorified. And that's what, what we should do. So the wall was finished in how many days? 52 days. Incredible. In fact, this was really very miraculous. It says, when all of our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. They didn't know any possible way you'd get that done. And it happened. It happened. It happened because what God did. It was a testimony. Glorify God. And uh, the Lord looks for things that glorify himself. He is our creator. He can do that. I think it's interesting then that they celebrated it by reading the law. I'm not sure we always do that. They celebrate by turning right back to what the scriptures say. And they read the law. Now, when they read the law, the people were terrified. They said, oh, my goodness, you know, we have been bad. And then he says, he says, and, uh, and the priests all calm the folks and say, this is a day of rejoicing. You know the law, you understand it, that's good. But we've completed this. The Lord has allowed us to do this. And they ate and they drank and had great rejoicing, Nehemiah 6. There are many examples of celebrating our accomplishments. Vital to give God the glory. Don't forget to do it. You marshaled the forces. You motivate them. They did the work. Stop and celebrate. Key, key thing. So now I want to highlight one piece that I think is so important in our consideration. We've already talked a little bit about that, and that is the purpose. What was his ultimate goal. So Nehemiah again looked and he said, the, the town is a disgrace. I want to restore that. Now, the plans that we have in Nehemiah don't show, well, we're going to pave all the streets and do all this. The focus is on rebuilding the walls and fixing the gates. That's what it was. But I'm sure he saw a time that restored it to the grandeur that was there in Solomon's day or David's day. You know? It had slowly deteriorated. That was what he saw. But the Lord had laid on his heart something very specific, and that was to rebuild the walls and the gates. That was his mission. So now I use these terms. I kind of think of that ultimate thing. It's the vision. It's out there. I can't yet get it. I can't see the whole thing, but I know where I'm going. For us, our vision is heaven. Is it not, ultimately? I think so. That that's, should be our vision, all of us. We are not citizens of the earth. We are citizens of heaven. We ought to act that way. That is our vision. Meanwhile, what are we doing every day? Well, we're not giving up. We're continuing on for Jesus Christ. We want to become more like Jesus Christ. And we want to share Jesus Christ with those around us. That's our mission. That's what we're doing every day. So, there are two concepts here, but I think that's very important. I want to develop that just a little bit. Why is this purpose so important? Well, here's some thoughts for you in, in thinking through this. It provides meaning. Sometimes you ask people, say, what are you doing? 
Well, I get up and I, uh, you know, I go to work, and I come home, and then I do the same thing again. That's all I do. Oh, that's sad. Sad. You know, there's toiling, you know. They're wandering aimlessly. Existentialism talks a little bit about that. There's no purpose in life. Everything is just random. It's all coincidental. Very sad. That's not our Christian view at all. We don't do that. We have a purpose. We have a mission. We have a vision. It inspires and motivates. It gives us a cause. It gives us a goal to attain. To become more conformed to the image of Jesus Christ is a personal vision. It's what we should be doing every day. How can I do that? How can I make myself more conformed to the image of Jesus Christ? When you have a purpose, then it focuses your energies, right? Lots of great ideas all going in different directions. Nothing gets done. Lots of, lots of energy in one direction attains things nobody could do. It's when one plus one is three, not two, because of the synergy that happens when everybody puts their hand on the rope and pulls in the same direction. And you can see that. Had a circle, rope's going in a different direction, everybody pulls and nothing's happening, right? And it'll stand right there, okay? Everybody says, this is the course, this is where we go. And the answer is, wow, look at them go. That's what it does. It focuses our energy. When you do that, it becomes more efficient, yes? Don't need nearly as much energy to execute all this stuff because you all know where you're going. So that's another reason why this purpose is so important. And finally, it results in a new level of effectiveness for the organization, for you as a person. If you know where you're going, if you're pursuing five different majors at the same time, are you efficient? No, you're not. You're not. In fact, you're in school for a long time. <laughs> I'm still deciding. <laughs> not very efficient. But if you know this is what you want to do, and this is how you're preparing, and you've got it laid out step for step, it becomes more efficient. When you get those credentials, you can do things you couldn't do before. So it makes you more effective. As I become more Christ-like, as, as I mature in Jesus Christ, I have the ability to do things I could not do when I was a babe and can only use the milk of the word. Now I can chew on some tough stuff because I've grown. Okay, so that's why it's so important. Now let's apply that a little bit. Let's talk first about personal mission and vision. The Westminster Catechism says that the prime purpose prime end, the purpose of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Okay, good. The Apostle Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So I think often about, you know, my goal on life is to become like Jesus Christ. It is to be what Christ would want me to do and be. That's what it is. That's what Paul's saying. For me to live is Christ. What would Christ want? What are his values? Let me do it that way. That is what I want. Now, if you go in that passage and you, and you study other, other texts as well, you see that Paul wanted to be in heaven. That's what he wanted to do. But he also saw the need of continuing his ministry here on earth. And he was torn by that. So his conclusion is, for me to live is Christ. And when that time comes and I finish my walk, I'm going home. I, I'm going I'm to get to that vision. That's what I'm going to do. Until then, I'm going to stay busy with the mission. So here's a couple of thoughts. Personal mission. And I just put this together. Okay? But I, I want to illustrate this. Glorify God by becoming more Christ-like and influencing others for Christ while serving on the administration of Mayus Bible College. What is your mission this morning? Do you have one? 
Do you know where you're going? What are you doing? What is my vision to become more Christ-like? That kind of mirrors Paul for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. Now, here's the point. If I, when I lay it out like this and I say, while well, serving as a minister at Mays Bible College, and you look at that, then one of the things I want to do is to increase my ability to do that well. Yes? Yeah. Would that include art lessons? Not for me. For somebody else it might. It might be very important. But it probably doesn't fit in this one. <laughs> okay? That's my point. My point is, as you know what you're doing, then it focuses your energies. You know where you're going. This is what I'm doing. Now, ask other questions here. Influencing others for Christ. So what am I doing to do that? What are you doing? When you lay out your mission and you know that, then you can start saying, well, these are the people I'm touching. They're my customers, whatever you want to call it. But so what am I doing? And you can start saying, wow, okay, then I need to be doing this and this and this. Do I have enough scriptures in my head so that I can give someone the gospel? I don't. I need to do that. Now, that's a way to influence them for Christ. So by laying out your, your mission and knowing your vision, it helps you organize your energies so that you can become a better person, to become more Christ-like. All right, let's go to family. The same concept could apply to a family. <clears throat> Lots of families in our congregation a family mission, a strong Christian family influencing others in the community for Christ. As a family, what is your mission? What are you doing? Are you just existing there? Is that what you're doing? I hope not. So my challenge today is for you to develop that mission. What is your mission? What are you doing? Is the, the mission is what you're doing every day. The vision is what you hope to become. What you really want the Lord you, what's, it's what you think the Lord wants you to become as a family, right? So you're striving for that. That's, that's the vision. So what about this one? To become known in the community as a bright, shining lighthouse providing physical, mental, spiritual support that leads to decisions for Christ. These are simply thoughts for your consideration. You need to develop it. Make it right for you. But I think it's important. What is your purpose? What are you doing every day? And then and when you know that, then again, you start lining up. Well, in order to do these things better, this is what I need to be working on. Purpose. Let's review it again. It provides meaning. It inspires <coughs> and motivates. It results in a focus of energy and resources. It aids in efficiency. It results in moving person, the person or organization to a new level of meaningfulness. Well, okay then. So, what is the purpose, the mission, and the vision of the Great Adventure Church? What do you think? What are we doing as a local church? Well, we have meetings. We have socials. Question two, is that all? What should we be doing? What should we be doing as a local church? How is the GAC supporting members' growth in the Lord and improving their potential for ministry? Hmm, interesting question. Are we having an impact in your heart, in your lives? Are you becoming more Christ-like? Are we empowering you to evangelize better, to be a better witness, to be a better Christian? What do you think the Lord wants the GAC, the Great Adventure Church, to become? 
There are many courses out there. What's right? What does the Lord want for us? So these are all really mission and vision issues. Make sense? It's about purpose. What is our purpose? What are we doing? Now let me give you an example. All right, so today doesn't look too bad, but everybody gets in the room, what happens? Ooh, a little crowded. In fact, sometimes we have people sitting outside because you can't find a seat in here. So sooner or later, and we've got more children, right? We got enough Sunday school rooms? You double the size of the nursery? <laughs> okay, all right. Well, <clears throat> we probably need a different facility. All right. I think most of us would agree. Yes, that's probably something we ought to be thinking about. It's not that we don't like this facility. It's a wonderful facility and has worked very well for us. But as we continue our walk and our ministry, perhaps there's another one out there that we ought to be looking at. Well, what type of facility should it be? What do you think? Is it a big church downtown with big stone pillars and stained glass windows? I don't think anybody's got that in mind here. That's probably not what we do. What do we want in that church? Um, should we have a missionary apartment? Should that be part of it? Okay. Uh, do we need a park-like setting for socials? With a lake, maybe? <laughs> Get you thinking? <laughs> we do a lot of that, right? We also use that as a way of introducing people to our church, do we not? Okay, that might be important. Okay, That's our way of reaching others. Do we need a gym and a kitchen for our community outreach? Yeah? They're none of bad ideas, are they? Probably can't do them all, though. What, what should we do? Uh, do we need a shelter for battered women and children? Should be nice. We do that too. Okay. You see my point? What is our purpose? If you define the purpose, then you start to understand if that's our purpose, then this is what we need. And that's why it's so important. So, I built up to this slide. We have started a planning. We've started working on that. And there's a planning committee that's been formed, and they'll keep the church members informed. It's important to understand the planning committee is not just going to do it all and, since, and reveal one day this is how it is. Not going to do that. They're going to formulate a draft mission and a vision statement. You see why those are such important things now? Because it helps us with that purpose. And then you develop supporting goals. If this is our purpose, then what are the things we need to do? One of the things we need to do is have a great pulpit ministry, right? Probably no matter what, that's going to be one of our goals. We need to teach everybody in the church. Now, that's a challenge, just that one, because that really is, when I say pulpit, I'm teaching ministry is probably more appropriate in this case. Are we teaching the little kids? What are we doing for the college kids? How about the old guys like me and Sandy? We taking care of them? <laughs> That's my point. My point is you got to take that whole thing. That's all. That's probably one of the goals. So these are all goals that will help us attain, better do the mission, and attain the vision. Okay. So there it is. All right. So that's why we're going to develop some goals, and they will probably lead to creating specific, measurable objectives. Goals. Think of them as ways that move you down the road. 
Okay. So, but then measurable objectives, me those objectives are going to help you say by next year this time we want we want the criteria for our new building. Okay, that's something you could measure. So this is what we're going to do. Okay. Um, your input is vital, and I just can't stress this enough. After it's done, and you say, you know, I wish uh, I wish I woulda, or I wish you woulda, that's too late. We want you involved. And so there's an instrument that you're going to get. It's in fact, you, it's going to be uh, you're going to get a mailing this coming week coming up, and it's going to uh, tell you how to go on a website and to start talking to the Great Adventure Church about all the things that you see, you perceive, that will help us plan as we move forward. Am I making sense? It's time. Now, you go back to that facility. So some of it may say, oh, it's big, it's hard. Go back to the facility thing again. We need a new facility. What kind of facility? Well, we don't know unless we know what we want to be. And that's why it's so important. Well, we covered a ton of material today. We started with Nehemiah, and uh, we studied some principles that we can all apply to the way we make, the way we lead, and we realize that leadership just isn't about being the boss of a company. It's about things we do every day. It may be in Sunday school class. It may be with a colleague. That's all leading. That's what it is. So we're all involved in leadership. And we all make decisions. We need to do it in a manner that pleases the Lord. And there are clear principles in Scripture. We looked at a number of them illustrated in the book of Nehemiah. There are many others in Scripture, so we've only scratched the subject, scratched the surface of this subject. We talked a little bit about establishing a personal mission. And I challenge you to work on that personal mission. We talked about a family mission, also very important. And finally, we talked this morning a little bit about uh, creating a vision and a mission for the Great Adventure Church and why it's so important, using facilities as an example, that unless we clearly understand where we're ultimately going, we don't know how to get there. So we have to define that. Once we define it, then we can do that. So there's some challenges for you. A wonderful book, one I really learned a lot more studying through it, it was really, it was neat to see all of the, the truths of Scripture that are there. All right, I'm, gonna, I'm going to uh, ask, um, I'm going to pray. And then, Ethan, maybe you have some additional comments to follow up on on, on the, this uh, planning process. Our Father, thank you so much for our time together. Thank you for the book of Nehemiah. Uh, thank you for his leadership, his courageous leadership. Our Father, we are all leaders. We all make decisions. We want to do it in a manner that is pleasing to you. Our Father, we pray that our perspective will be your perspective, that we will not decide things the way other men do, those who do not know you, but we will decide them because we are your children with your values in mind. We thank you for this time together. In Jesus' name, amen.